Welcome, everyone, to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 34 of the 2021 podcast series, taking a look at the draft eligible prospects and getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is set to begin Thursday, April 29th, Cleveland, Ohio. It's just a couple of days away. That's right. The taping of this podcast today, April 27th, just a couple of days away from the NFL draft. And I've got four podcasts that I'm putting together back-to-back days leading up to draft day on the 29th. If you'll recall, back on the 25th, we did the last of the positional breakdowns with the cornerbacks and safeties. Now that we put that to bed on the 26th, Monday, we actually took a look at the AFC and NFC East and the South, Look at took a look at the draft boards, took a look at the team needs, and really took a look at my mock draft for the first four rounds and really took a look who was going to come off the board when and what really made sense for each of those franchises. So obviously we talked about uh, Trevor Lawrence going to the Jags. We talked about uh, Zach Wilson going to the Jets. But we also talked about who was going to come off the board with their second pick there uh, in round number one. Quiddy Pay going to the Jags. Uh, Greg Newsom the second going to the Jets. And oh yeah, the Dolphins were also thrown in there as well. Jamar Chase. Man, you know, if they get a chance to, to take Kyle Pitts or, or Panay Sewell, it could potentially happen. Could this be Jalen Waddle? It's entirely possible, but I still think you get uh, Jamar Chase. You get Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa there at number 18. So there was a lot to cover uh, on episode 33. Now, 34, we're going to go ahead and take a look at uh, the AFC and NFC North, and we'll finish off with the West. And then tomorrow... We'll actually take a look at my final mock draft, final first round, what I think the first round may look like, and then we'll play by the numbers. And by the numbers is fun because you throw out the teams all together and you really just study the draft history. And you look at the the positional uh, breakdown and the dynamic with each draft class and try to predict based on the five-year history when uh, each of the quarterbacks, running backs by position, when they'll come off the board, first through the seventh round, just how many quarterbacks are going to come off the board in round one, how many in round two, etc. And then see if we can match up the players to those rounds as well. And then what we'll do is, in a week or two, we'll go ahead and actually take a look at by the numbers and see exactly how accurate we were. How close did we come to predicting the number of positional players coming off in each round? And then also, did we match up the players to that as well? So a lot of fun to really take a look at how that shapes up and really how the uh, the history of the draft, does it ring true that you see a lot of the same patterns that develop? You know, if you look at it, just strictly taking the teams out of it, you see some of those patterns develop uh, when it's all said and done. So will be interesting to, to play that. But today, it's all about the AFC and NFC North and the West. So we'll start off with the AFC North. And when you talk about that, we're going to go in order with the draft. So obviously, we're going to start with the Cincinnati Bengals. And, uh, you know, the Bengals, look, they've got Zach Taylor in there as their head coach. Season started out optimistic. Bengals, uh, you know, looking to improve upon their their 2-14 record from the prior season. Uh, You know, they they brought in Joe Burrow. And they think, all right, you know, Burrow, hey, he was 2-7-1 in 10 starts in Cincy. Uh, completed over 64% of his passes, over 2,800 yards through the air, 13 touchdowns, just five interceptions. But he also led the league in sacks with 32 and 72 hits during that time. And then if you also recall in week 11 against Washington, Joe Burrow drops back to pass deep in his own zone. He's got Chase Young and Montez Sweat, a couple of beasts coming off the edge, uh, coming off both of those corners in a hurry. He tried to deliver a pass down the sideline when a third D lineman, Jonathan Allen, actually came up the middle and hit him low. 
ultimately tears his ACL and his MCL, sustained some other structural damage in that knee, and in what was really a promising rookie season to that point. So taking care of your investment, taking care of Joe Burrow has to be priority number one, right? I mean, they gave up 51 sacks uh, last year, so that has to be the primary objective. You know, you've got Jonah Williams, you know, a second-year pro, um, you know, battled injuries, though. He has that right knee injury that cut into a season, you know, season short. He'll be a third-year guy now on that left tackle position. You're hoping that you know, he can he can stay healthy. Um, right side, look, Bobby Bobby Hart, Akeem Adenije, just that didn't work out there. Um, combined to give up eight sacks on, a, on just a, a little over 1,100 snaps. So they, they need to upgrade the right tackle position. What do they do? They get a veteran in Riley Reef, who's going to take over that right tackle spot. You got uh, Quinton Spain that's going to fill in there at left guard. Billy Price really looks like he's going to be the center. So you have a need at that right guard position, and we'll get to that in just a sec. But there's also the chance that the Bengals could reunite Joe Burrow with his main target there at LSU when they won that national championship, have one of the best offenses in college football history. So think about that. Jamar Chase, 84 receptions, 1,780 yards, with an average of 21.2 yards per reception and 20 touchdowns. Think about that that connection and what that could do for the Bengals' offense at the next level. Now look, they already have T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, and really I'd argue that you need to find somebody in the slot more so than getting a guy on the outside, but that may be too good to pass up. And one of the things that I will say is they've already traded for Thaddeus Moss, the tight end uh, that he had there at LSU. So they've already traded for him. So are they trying to build around Joe Burrow with getting him some of those familiar targets, guys that he can really build that connection around? then, man, you still go back to that, that 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 offensive line. There is a lot of depth in this draft. So you could go Chase, and then you could go J, uh, Jalen Mayfield there in round number two. Uh, a, a guy like him, possibly even Liam Eichenberg, who can play that right tackle position, um, you know, can kick inside to guard a little bit as well. So th- there is that opportunity. That there is a chance to be able to do that. But look, Panay Sewell is sitting right there. Didn't allow a single sack in 2019, 936 pass block attempts, uh, just one in in over 1,376 career snaps over the last two seasons with the Ducks. Those stats coming to you from Pro Football Focus. Um, I look at Panay Sewell, he reminds me a lot of Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Sheriff, if you recall, a big, powerful tackle there coming out of Iowa. Fifth overall pick going to Washington. Now he's a all-pro and Pro Bowl guard kicked him inside and just you look at the body type you look at the 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 physicality with which they both play and and it makes a lot of sense and so I could see Panay Sewell kicking inside to right guard right away and then whenever Riley Reef, whenever he's done in Cincy you kick him outside to to right tackle and so you go back and forth it's kind of 1A 1B and I still think the depth of that offensive offensive line uh, class really has to make Zach Taylor and company think just for a second that maybe, just maybe, we can get Jamar Chase and a top-notch offensive lineman. Um, but Panay Sewell, the top offensive tackle in this draft class, is kind of hard to to go against that. So I'm sticking with Panay Sewell. That was my guy there in, in Cincy for quite a while. And then I went away from it, jumped on the Jamar Ch- Chase hype train, 
And uh, I, I think Panay Sewell still has to be that guy there in Cincy. Um, and what's funny is, is dra- the draft Twitter community, I mean, they can be ruthless. They found reps uh, of Panay Sewell tripping or losing his balance, uh, not really sustaining his blots, and, and use that narrative for Sewell saying, hey, he's got poor footwork and therefore not an elite prospect. But they miss all the reps where he fired out of the stance quickly, sets up in a hurry, proper knee bend, uh, up on the balls of his feet, sliding quickly, efforts, effortless uh, movement with, with good footwork, the ability to change directions, to pick up the secondary moves. You know, if anything, you could argue that, that Sewell was dominant in spite of inconsistent footwork, which just furthers his draft stock because that footwork can be cleaned up at the next level. He's physical at the point of attack, tremendous power in his hands to jolt his man in front of him, and then shows that grip strength to really just drive his man back and sustain some blocks. You know, and this is a guy, look, you know, at 19 years of age, he wins the Outland Trophy, just 20 games under his belt. So I think he's just scratching the surface on his potential. And so since he, you get your tackle there in round one, what do you do in round two? Well, there is depth at the receiver class as well. And I think really that depth is going to be in round three. So what you can do in round two, there's a guy by the name of Gregory Rousseau out of Miami, 6'7", 265 pounds. And as a redshirt freshman, you know, just racked up uh, an insane number of, of sacks, 15 and a half sacks in his redshirt freshman season. He shows up in Miami as a 6'6", 222-pounder, who was a defensive end, a safety, and a receiver in high school. Ends up playing defensive end, uh, bulked up, put on 40 pounds, and suddenly was a force coming off that edge. Incredible length that he uses to his advantage, uses his hands, gets into the body of the tackle, drives his man back, has, you know, tremendous flexibility and bend. And you look at the size, you know, you think of guys like, like Carlos Dunlap uh, there in Cincy, and, and those are the types of guys that, that really thrive in, in Cincinnati. And look, the Bengals, they've got 17 sacks. I mean, the league worst, 17 sacks. Just three players recording more than one sack. And to make matters worse, Carl Lawson's now with the Jets. Now, yes, you did bring in Trey Hendrickson. And Trey Hendrickson, look, good player, racked up 13 and a half sacks, but he was playing opposite Cam Jordan. He needs to get another guy in this off in this defense. And I think Gregory Rousseau falling out of round number one. He's sitting there at number 38. You jump on him, you get your edge rusher, and now you can go ahead and focus on the receiver in round three. You get into round three, and I mentioned you know, Chase could be your guy, um, especially you, know, you lose A.J. Green, you lose John, John Ross, but I think you can also make the argument you're looking for a guy that could be a slot receiver more so than than a guy on the outside because again you've got t higgins had a promising rookie season you also have tyler boyd so then you introduce a guy by the name of amon ross st brown out of usc 6 195 pounds this guy one of the most reliable receivers out there very sudden off the line smooth with the route running fearless over the middle he's just he's so intelligent understands route running understands where he needs to be on the field to get open uh, finds openings in the defense to make a play. Strong through contract when, when attacking the ball. Look, his dad was a former Mr. Olympia. I mean, you know, this guy was built for, for football, built for the weight room as well. Uh, dynamic in the slot, but can also line up on the outside. Racked up a 1,000-yard season as a sophomore with the Trojans. And then his 41 receptions in 2020 led the Pac-12. You know, So this is a guy who can be a key weapon for Joe Burrow. And, and I, I think when you look at it, you put him in there with... T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. You get Amon Ross St. Brown, who can be that possession receiver, and he uses those smarts to outthink the, the defense. And again, 
if the quarterback's in trouble, if Burrow's going to be in trouble, his safety blanket a lot of times is going to be Amon Ross St. Brown because he just knows, how, you know, coming back to the football, he knows where he needs to be for that for his quarterback. And look, this guy's cool. You know, he, he he's traveled all, he's well traveled, speaks I think five different languages. Um, again, you know, his dad was Mr. Olympia, so you know, th- this kid, there's just a lot of different layers to him, and I, I think that intelligence there, you see it out there on the football field. I think he'd be a steal there in round number three, um, which then takes us to round four. And when you're looking at, at round four, uh, I, I think they do need a defensive tackle. And when you look at, at the line, you talk about Cincy, um, you know, Geno Atkins is no longer there. You brought in uh, Larry Ogunjobi, and you've got DJ Reader. Uh, Mike Daniels was also brought in as well, but I, I think you need to get another playmaker there at the defensive tackle position. Uh, a guy that I really like is Bobby Brown the uh, third out of Texas A&M. The junior, he's 6'4", 325 pounds, and look, he's powerfully built, anchors at the point of attack, can generate a lot of push up front, playing with leverage, uh, but he can also collapse the pocket from the interior as evidenced by that five and a half sacks that he had this past season. He's a guy that could come off the board in the third round, but I think since he would love to get him there uh, in round number four, and uh, he's a guy that, look, he can end up playing you know, either the, the three technique or at, at the nose, just gives him some nice versatility there up front. And look, when you're only get, you know, getting to the quarterback 17 times in 2020, you need to figure out something up front. And I, I think getting an edge rusher and getting a, a defensive tackle that really starts shoring things up. You also take care of Joe Burrow and you get him another weapon. I, I just, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. Could we still end up seeing Jamar Chase come off the board at round five? Then you're talking about an offensive tackle like like Jalen Jalen uh, Mayfield. Then you're talking about a defensive end in round three, which is possibly a, a guy like uh, maybe Peyton Turner falls. Uh, could be Rashad Weaver. But I, I think if you play it out this way, you take advantage of some of the depth at the receiver position, and I think it'll bode well for the Bengals. Which then takes us, and it's weird, you know, the next team that we're actually talking about is the Steelers sitting there at number 24 overall. The Steelers, unfortunately, didn't have the season that I, I think they would have liked. Um, and they've got, you know, they've got a lot of holes now that, that they have to fill. And, and unfortunately... You know, they, they had to say goodbye to a, a future Hall of Fame center in Marquise Pouncey, um, you know, which was definitely disappointing. They, they did get Juju Smith-Schuster back, but James Conner, the running back, is gone. Um, Alejandro Villanueva, their left tackle. Matt Filer, their left guard, both gone. Um, so that's three out of your five offensive linemen no longer on the roster. Bud Dupree's gone. And then this looks like it's probably going to be the swan song for Big Ben. So you have to figure out who's going to be playing under center you know, after this season. Is it going to be Mason Rudolph, you know, who's really shown that he's best served as a, as a backup? You know, I don't know that he can shoulder the load. So the question really is going to be, who, who, who do you bring in? Is it going to be this year's draft or is it going to be next? Or do they potentially look at, at a trade uh, next offseason? Really going to have to see how all of that plays out. Um, so what do the Steelers do? There are a lot of different areas that they can go, a lot of different directions uh, sitting here at 24. Um, you know, With that offensive line, could Elijah Vera Tucker fall? Could it be Tevin Jenkins that falls? Um, that's a possibility for sure. Um, like I said, with Bud Dupree going to Tennessee, uh, Aziz Ojulari, you could potentially team him up with Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt. Um, but man, that running game. 
you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers, blue collar, you know, they're going to grind the game out. When you think of the Steelers, you think of Franco Harris. You think of the bus, Jerome Bettis. You even think of Le'Veon Bell. And really, uh, James Conner really looked great. Breakout 2018, uh, 973 yards, 12 touchdowns, but then he missed nine games over the last two seasons. Uh, Average just 593 yards during that span as well. Free agent, went for a change of scenery there in, in Arizona. And I'll tell you what, Najee Harris just looks like he's built for the Steelers. 6'2", 230 pounds. Um, you know, the worst rushing attack from a, from a year ago gets probably the most complete back in this year's draft. Now, this is a guy that can run with power, contact balance between the tackles, speed and athleticism on the perimeter to run by you, or also jump over defenders. And I'm talking about Nick McLeod there against Notre Dame. Uh, you're jumping over a 6-1 corner. Uh, absolutely ridiculous. Displays soft hands in the passing game. Clear understanding of his role in pass protection as well. And I look at, you know, two years ago, another former Crimson Tide running back by the name of Josh Jacobs came off the board in round one to the Raiders. He's become a star. So I think Harris has the potential to do something similar. And when you look at him, he went on to post back-to-back thousand-yard seasons when he really became the feature back in 2019, scored 39 touchdowns, also hauled in 70 passes in those final two seasons with the Tide. But uh, 2020 was really what elevated him to be that clear-cut top running back in the class. Over 1,400 yards on the ground, 26 touchdowns, 43 receptions for 425 yards and four touchdowns, um, which was good enough to place him fifth in the Heisman voting to go along with uh, winning the Doka Walker Award. Are, are you convinced yet that this is this is the guy that you need to really look at? Um, you know, but the, the soft hands and the ability to adjust to the football in the passing game was interesting. Um, I think maybe the best example of those receiving skills were when the lights were brightest. 2021 college football championship game against Ohio State. Bama has the ball at the Buckeye 26-yard line with 9:06 to play in the second quarter. Mac Jones back to pass with a free rusher in his face. Full to pass up to, uh, to Najee Harris, who's running a wheel route up the left sideline. Catches the ball behind him with his right hand, secures the football with his left. Then, with that momentum heading toward the sideline, is able to, to maintain his balance, put his foot in the ground, cut back inside uh, of an over-pursuing Tough Borland at the 11, then gets to, to the three and leaps over Josh Proctor, who hit him at the goal line. Uh, the hands, the balance, the footwork, the cutback ability, and the ability to finish in the end zone. All of that on one play. So to me, Harris, you get him in there. He's a versatile weapon, a guy that, look, if you need to ground, grind out a game, hey, go get me three, four yards of carry, and, and we'll go ahead and finish this thing out. He can do that for you. And so I, I think he takes some pressure off of, of Ben Roethlisberger because, look, Benny Snell and Anthony McFarland, that's not going to get it done. You need to get that running back in there, help them, uh, Big Ben out, and uh, you know that'll really kind of set the tone for the Steelers with this draft. So I think after that, you know, I mentioned that that they, they don't have Marquise Pouncey and you're going to ultimately need to get a center. And at one point, I actually had them taking Creed Humphrey in round one. I ultimately think he'll be there in round two, number 55 overall. And Creed Humphrey, 6'5", 315, uh, the junior out of Oklahoma. Look, he's replacing a guy who uh, you know, played in a, you know, 11 years in the league. Nine Pro Bowls, five All-Pro selections, including three on the first team. Next stop is, is Canton, Ohio, you know, the Hall of Fame. But here's here's the deal with Creed Humphrey, and I don't think it, it's going to be too overwhelming for him. He steps in as a freshman there for the Sooners, and he's he's the pivot with 
four NFL draft picks around him. Orlando Brown, Ben Powers, Drew Samia, and Cody Ford. And what happens? He anchors the, this line that ends up being the top uh, offensive line in college football, wins the Joe Moore Award, which by the way, has the largest trophy in college football. Um, and then, you know, he's blocking for a Heisman Trophy winner in Kyler Murray. The next year as a sophomore, four brand new starters. And here's the guy, he's really the elder statesman when it comes to, uh, you know, comes to starts. And he's got to go ahead and take over a brand new line. They're blocking for Jalen Hurts, who wound up being the, the Heisman runner-up. And uh, you know, yet another uh, stellar season for him. And then as a junior, I thought really his 2020 season was even better than 2019. And uh, blocking for Spencer Rattler, the, the freshman phenom there. And, uh, you know, look, you know, Humphrey, he's a former wrestler, understands leverage, does a tremendous job dropping his hips at the, and, and getting low at the point of attack. Um, quick with his hands, anchors well, didn't give up a single sack in 1,200 pass plays over the last season, uh, last two seasons, according to Pro Football Focus. May not be the best athlete, but I think he proved at his pro day that he can still move. Ran a 509.40, 32-inch vertical leap, uh, plug-and-play center, who's going to play in the league a long time. I think really that's critical for the Steelers, first and foremost. Address that center position. They brought in B.J. Finney. He's not going to be your starter. He shouldn't be there at the pivot. There's depth uh, at the tackle position. You can get a guard later on in the draft. Get your center right away. Get Creed Humphrey. Let's not mess around there. You know, you've already seen what, uh, what a guy like Marquise Pouncey meant to your offensive line. You can do the same thing here with Creed Humphrey. In round number three, 88 overall. Steelers need to find that compliment to TJ Watt now that Bud Dupree's gone. Jordan Smith out of UAB. He's a 6'6", 264-pound junior. Physical freak, man. This guy's incredibly long. He bends well. 23.5 tackles for loss, 12.5 sacks in just two seasons with the Blazers. Uh, actually showed up at his pro day bigger, weighed about 10 pounds heavier and a lot stronger than he was during the season. Ran that 4840, but I think, you know, there's still, you know, no doubt that he has first step quickness coming off the edge. And when he gets to bend and uses that length to his advantage, he can really be a menace coming off the edge. I like him in round three to the Steelers. Uh, and then the Steelers actually have two picks in round number four. And I think this is where they can go ahead and get a tackle who can compete with uh, Chakwoma Okorafor there for that left tackle position, uh, possibly even Zach Banner, although I think Banner's probably going to be a right tackle. Um, I think that makes more sense. Um, so the Steelers, ultimately, what are they going to do? Um, I'm looking at Deontay Smith out of East Carolina. 6'4", he's bulked up to 305. And what I like about him, I think he's a bit of a work in progress. Uh, but he has some obvious traits that translate to the next level. You see the easy movement skills, displays good pop at the point of attack, plays with good leverage, uh, getting under his man's pad level. And once he locks on, that lower body strength clears his man out of the play. I think he could be a nice lead blocker there on the edge for Najee Harris. Um, and then the Steelers aren't done, like I said, in round number four. Uh, I, I think they need to get another corner. Um, when you look at the cornerback position, they have Joe Hayden. Uh, Justin Lane, you know, he was arrested this offseason. Uh, don't really know what's going to happen there with him. You got Cam Sutton there at, at, at the nickel. Get another corner in there to really short things up on the back end. Look, you're going to have to see Joe Burrow twice, Lamar Jackson twice, Baker Mayfield twice. I'm looking at Shamar Jean Charles out of Appalachian State. He's 5'11, 190 pounds. Um, and, and look, Gene Charles has the versatility to play outside 
You can play on the slot. You can even play at safety. Instinctive ball, uh, ball hawk. A tremendous job driving on the football, challenging receivers at the catch point. 16 pass breakups led the nation in 2020. I think that'd be a great pick for the Steelers there in round number four, which then takes us to the Cleveland Browns. And look, Cleveland Browns had a magical, magical season. I mean, didn't they? I mean, it's one of those things to where if you're a Cleveland Brown fan, you were quite ecstatic. They finished with 11 wins, the first double-digit win season since 2007. They win, uh, they get a playoff berth for the first time since 2002. Then Kevin Stefanski did what 11 head coaches couldn't do. They win a playoff game. That wild card win over the Steelers was the franchise's first since Bill Belichick led the Browns to win over his future team, the Patriots, back in 1994. Incredible. So what are the what are the Browns going to be doing here? You know, th- this is one of the things to where you know you have Baker Mayfield making strides with uh, with Stefanski. The old line gave up the eighth fewest sacks in the league. Defensively, they had their moments as well. You know, held Patrick Mahomes just 196 yards passing in the divisional playoff game. Miles Garrett, another All-Pro season, tallying another double-digit sack season. Denzel Ward finished third in the league in passes defended. But you need to make some upgrades here as well. Olivier Vernon ruptured his Achilles uh, week 17 against the Steelers. Um, Probably not going to be available. I think he's still out on the market right now. Um, So what do you do? You bring in a guy like Jadavion Clowney. I mean, sure, of course. Call Jadavion Clowney, see if he wants to go ahead and and play opposite uh, Miles Garrett. Who wouldn't want to play opposite Miles Garrett? So, I mean, you've got a couple of freaks there, a couple of former number one overall picks um, there at defensive end, which is crazy. You also bring in Tack McKinley. So I think the pass rush is, is in good hands really at, at this point. So uh, I, I think you could turn your, your head somewhere else. Um, no longer you know, are you looking at a guy like Jalen Phillips here. Um, but the Browns do need help at linebacker. Um, their middle linebacker, B.J. Goodson, uh, a free agent. So, you know, Anthony Walker sitting there right now as potentially that middle linebacker. Look, there's Sam Backer, Sione Takitaki, and I think, you know, they can get an upgrade there. And I'm looking at a guy like Jamin Davis out of Kentucky. 6'4", 234 pounds, um, established himself as one of the top linebackers in this season. Um, and look, saw that uptick in production, 102 tackles, three interceptions, just 10 games of action. Maybe one of the top linebackers in coverage in this draft. Matching up with receivers in the slot, running backs up the seam, tight ends firing off the line as well. Really does a good jam. Uh, uh, excuse me, does a good job jamming that outside shoulder whenever possible to force the re- receiver to the inside. And then he has the hips to turn and run with the receivers. Shows off that 4-4-1 speed that he displayed at his pro day. I mean, 6-4, 234 running a 4-4-1. Are you kidding me? Uh, and then if you saw the film against Tennessee, uh, Davis was able to get depth. Flash in front of the throwing lane, pick off Jarek Guarantano, extending that right hand uh, on a ball that was thrown to the inside. And then from there, Davis uses that speed, takes off for an 85-yard pick six. Uh, You know, this is a dude, look, 6'4", 234, also has a 42-inch vertical leap, jumping into that throwing lane. Um, But that's not all he can do. I mean, you watched him in the Gator Bowl against NC State. On one play, he, he gets to the quarterback coming downhill for a sack, and then he gets lateral. Uh, to the perimeter, drops the running back in space for no gain on the next. Um, just tremendous job with gap integrity as well, taking away cutback lanes, effective slipping underneath blocks to make a play on the ball carrier as well. Lateral quickness for days. 
allowing him to scrape over the top of blocks, stack and check guys with ease, does a good job in backside pursuit, and oh yeah, uh, has good timing as a blitzer, uh, comes downhill in a hurry with bad intentions as a physical tackler as well. Um, he's a, has a motor that never quits, and you know if you allow him playing sideline to sideline, you get that athlete behind guys like Miles Garrett and uh, Jadavion Clowney, I think you really start to get some things there and you really get some of that production out of that linebacker position that I think you were kind of lacking last season. So you move on to uh, to round number two. And in round two, they're sitting there at 59 overall. And I think they need to go defensive tackle. They brought uh, – they don't have Larry Ongojobia anymore. Um, they've got Jordan Elliott and Andrew Billings. Um, you know, Malik Jackson's on the roster as well, so they brought him in. Uh, but I don't think that that's really going to get it done up front. You need to get another defensive tackle. And, you know, I had Davion Nixon out of Iowa penciled in here for a while, but there is a chance, and it is a small one. I do realize that because Levi Amuzarike, a lot of people think he's going to come off the board in round one. I think he, for a long time, I had him as an early second round pick, but. As things started shuffling around, he started dropping in my in my uh, my draft, and mostly it was just because of the way the draft board fall, uh, was falling. And you know, there's a chance he could fall to the Cleveland there at 59 overall. And look, Amuzarike, he's 6'3", 294. He did sit out 2020, but this is a guy who has the talent and the football IQ to be that first round pick. Few players are as powerful at the point of attack. Delivers a tremendous punch off the ball. Does a great job controlling his man. Bench presses him to get off the block and be devastating when he arrives at the football. Uh, needs to watch that pad level. You know, he can be completely neutralized every time he gets too high out of his stance. When he remains low, fires off the ball, very explosive, uses those hands to get off blocks, and, uh, you know, fires into that backfield in a hurry. Um, you know, I think he's the guy that's going to push for playing time very early on there for the Browns. Um, I, I think that'd be a nice pickup for, for him. Uh, you know, you look at when you've got Miles Garrett on, on one side, you got Genevieve Clowney on the other, and then you get a guy like Levi Muzurike on the inside. You're really starting to build that that uh, defensive front, and uh, you know it, it becomes more and more formidable as as you move along. So then, at number 90 overall in round number three, uh, you know they need a corner. You've got Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, and you know, while they did land Troy Troy Hill in free agency, I think if they really want to take this next step, they need to find someone who can truly hold down the nickel. And Elijah Molden out of Washington, 5'10", 180 pounds, uh, maybe the best in this year's draft class. Took full advantage of his chance to start in 2019, four interceptions, breaking up another 12 passes. He's a pretty twitchy guy, Fluid in, tran- in his transitions, trusts his eyes, driving on the football without any wasted movement. And, and despite his small frame, he packs quite a punch as well. So, um, you know, a guy that I really like to watch, and that'd be a nice get there for Cleveland in round three. 92 overall, they get this pick from New Orleans, and I think they need to go after another receiver. You know, I think the Browns, there's a decision made to make with Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, and really, honestly, after seeing the way the offense really thrived without OBJ in the lineup, he could potentially be in another uniform in 2021. The Browns still have Jarvis Landry, Richard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, even if Odell, uh, OBJ stays on the Browns roster, I, I still think the Browns need to land another receiver through the draft as there really isn't a, a true vertical threat who could take the top off of the defense. And there may not be anyone faster in this draft than Anthony Schwartz. Right in that 10 7 
100 meters in high school. Absolutely ridiculous how fast that is. Um, used it a number of ways at Auburn, both out of the backfield and at receiver. Um, I think he's still developing as a wideout, but he really got his chance to shine at the position in 2020, made the most of it, eclipsed the 100-yard mark twice. In the middle of the season, caught seven passes for 207 yards, um, which was an average of nearly 30 yards per catch, and two touchdowns against LSU and Tennessee. So that proves he can be more than just a gadget player. And using that speed, getting vertical, look, you're not going to ask him to do a ton when you've got Landry, Higgins, Peoples-Jones, and OBJ in front of him. But... When you need a guy that's going to go deep and has that speed to run away from people, Anthony Schwartz can absolutely be that guy. So then you you move to day three of the draft and, and ultimately you know, what's going to happen there. And I mentioned you know the, the defensive line, and they got three guys that can really get after the quarterback. And really you've got Garrett and Clowney. Uh, Tack McKinley has struggled with his uh, – you know, with the consistently consistency really firing firing off the edge, Porter Gustin, what was a nice uh, surprise there at the defensive end position, getting a little production there out of the, the former USC Trojan. Uh, but I really think they need to get another defensive end, and I'm looking at Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa, six seven, two forty five, length for days. Menace coming off the edge, racked up 14 sacks in 2019, uh, keeps those blockers at bay with those long arms and secures that edge, uses that quickness to beat the interior lineman to the inside as well. Versatility playing both with his hand in the dirt and his ability to, to play out of a two-point stance will give the Browns some options with their defense as well. So he's a guy to keep an eye out there uh, with number 112 overall, a pick that they get from Philly. And the Browns aren't done in round four they actually have one final pick and this is where you know i I think they they could go in a number of directions uh the ravens signed kevin zeitler i'm sorry um you know and that was the guy that i thought maybe maybe the browns can end up picking up uh but the browns really i think they're set they've got joel batonio they've got wyatt teller at guard but I think they still need some depth behind them. And so when I look at that, I look at a guy by, um, you know, Sidarius Hutcherson out of South Carolina, 6'4", 321 pounds, um, can take over, you know, a a starting guard spot in the event Wyatt Teller goes down to injury again. I know that he's battled some injuries during his time. Um, Hutcherson, look, he put on a a show at his pro day, 31 and a half inch vertical leap, and posted a 49640 while weighing in at 321 pounds. Also repped out 225, 36 times. Um, I think he's flying under the radar, but on draft day, I think this guy has starter potential. And it's one of those things when you look at, at Betonio, I think he's entrenched as a, a starter. I think Wyatt Teller as well, very strong at the point of attack. But Teller, you know, with those injuries, you worry about that a little bit. And if he does go down, You've got a guy like Hutcherson who has some versatility. This is a guy that played left guard, right guard, and right tackle. So I, I like that versatility. Can play anywhere along the interior of the line. Can also fill in at right tackle if Jack Conklin goes down. He's been bit by the injury bug as well. So I, I like Sedarius Hutcherson. You know, gives them some versatility there in round number four. So that's the Cleveland Browns, which is going to then take us finally to the Baltimore Ravens. And the Ravens... Look, they, they traded away Orlando Brown, and we know what happened there after he got a taste of playing that left tackle position when Ronnie Stanley went down to injury. He announces on, on Twitter that he's a left tackle, 
and ultimately he wants to look for a trade and ultimately he is traded to Kansas City so now Baltimore has the 27th and 31st overall picks so you think well the Ravens are absolutely going to target a tackle then right wrong they actually are likely to sign Alejandro Villanueva uh, which is absolutely insane. I mean, and nothing's actually been announced yet. It's likely going to happen after the draft. Um, you know, again, it's absolutely nuts. Jamison Hensley out of e for ESPN reported this on April 23rd, just a few hours after the deal was done with uh, you know the trade that they're going to sign Alejandro. So you've got Stanley on one side, Villanueva on the other side. You're really taking care of Lamar Jackson uh, and also helping out that running game. What's going to happen at 27? I think you have to target a receiver. You know, when you look at, at Baltimore, their offense was just so weird. They, they had the top rushing attack with 191.8 yards per game on the ground, but then they finished at the bottom in, uh, in, in, the, you know, in terms of the passing attack. And they were starved for weapons, so starved that, that they called Des Bryant, who hadn't played uh, since two, uh, 2017, signed him off the street. You have Marquise Brown, Hollywood was your leading receiver, Miles Boykin didn't emerge uh, as the team was expecting after really blowing things up at the Combine. I thought Devin Duvernay showed some promise in the slot, they're going to expand his role a little bit, you have James Prochet on the roster as well, but you're still lacking that overall production at the position. Um, Ravens targeted Sammy Watkins to fill the number two receiver role, but you know Lamar Jackson, he needs more weapons. And I'm looking at a guy like Rashad Bateman, and I think he makes a ton of sense. So you get a guy like Bateman there at number 27 overall. And what does he bring to the table? Big 10 wide receiver of the year in 2019. Hauled in six, 60 passes for over 1,200 yards. Averaged 20.3 yards per catch and 11 touchdowns as a sophomore for the Golden Gophers. Um, known for his ability to win at the line of scrimmage. Crisp route running. Gain separation. Uh, tremendous fighting through contact to attack the football in the air as well. You'll see that release, it's often on display on slants. And that quick acceleration and lateral agility to avoid defenders and, and run away from them on those slants. And the way that he sets up those slants also allows him to excel with double moves as well. Double move master because he is so effective at firing off the line and winning on a quick slant. So I know there was concern about Rashad Bateman's top end speed, but he shows up at the Exos Combine, runs a sub 4440. So I think you pair him up with Marquise Brown. You've got Sammy Watkins there on the roster. You can kind of mentor him as well. And hopefully, you know, you got Devin Duvernay in the slot. Hopefully, Miles Boykin can come along. You still have uh, Mark Andrews there at tight end. And I think, you know, Lamar Jackson finally has those weapons that he's sorely lacking. Um, and so I think that really kind of rounds out the receiver position a little bit for them. So then at 31, I think they're looking for an edge rusher. Why? Well, I, I think it's really simple. You, you lose Matt Judon and you lose Yannick Ngakwe. And, and here's the thing. Their, their pass rush was, was inconsistent at best. It was lacking star power. Uh, Ngakwe, look, you know, 2020, he wasn't, wasn't solid. You know, it wasn't anything impressive. Judon led the team in sacks with just six, which was the lowest total for a Raven uh, sack leader since Elvin Doomer, Elvis Doomerville back in 2015, who also had six sacks. So you've got Tyus Bowser, you've got Pernell McPhee. They're really counted on to lead the charge coming off the edge. And that's just 
that's not enough to really get things done. That's not going to strike fear. You know, you used to think of the Ravens, especially when you had T-Sizzle coming off the edge, Terrell Suggs. Um, they struck fear in opposing deep, in opposing offenses. You know, you got McPhee, you've got Tyus Bowser, and then you've got Jalen Ferguson. Um, but that's just not going to cut it. That's not going to be enough coming off the edge. So really what I'm looking at is, is whoever the best edge rusher on the board is. It could be Jason Owe. Um, a lot of people love you know his uh, uh, his athleticism. I think you know the production hasn't met, matched the, the talent there, but I think really he, he reminds a lot of people of Daniil Hunter. I think Bleacher Report was making a, a comment on that. I think the athletic as well, um, and I do see some of those similarities. He may actually end up being a, a, a 4-3 DN, but he just feels like a, a Baltimore Raven. The guy that I'm still targeting the Baltimore Ravens to get is Zizo Jullari. I think you can go to the Dolphins. Um, I think there are other teams. The Jets could potentially go after him, the Titans. Um, but I think Ojolari goes to the Ravens. And look, this is a guy who's real twitchy, shows tremendous change of direction, the ability to, to flex, uh, you know, the, the flexibility coming off the edge, bending and turning the corner in a hurry. Um, once he gets to the edge, flattens out, and very explosive speed getting to the quarterback. You know, if you saw that, that game against Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl, that three-sack performance, you know what I'm talking about. Finished 2020 with nine and a half sacks, including at least one in three of his last four games. So really building off of uh, that momentum that he had coming into the end of the season. Um, not only is he able to bend off the edge, but he also shows good hands to slap the offensive tackle's hands down and rip through on his way to the quarterback. And once he arrives at the quarterback, he's not just looking to bring him down. He's looking to make a play by going for the football, which you know separates him from a lot of the edge rushers as well. That athleticism also allows him to maintain inside leverage against the run, takes away some of the cutback lanes while spilling the running back to the outside. Not really expected to drop into coverage much there for Georgia, so he's going to need to continue to develop there, but he'll be a situational pass rusher and a guy that I think has a lot of upside because of that athleticism. So now the Ravens, they, they traded away their second round pick to the Chiefs, but that ultimately allows them to pick up a couple of picks there in, uh, in round number three. So that's where we're ultimately going to head with um, with, with this, this analysis. And really, when you look at Baltimore, um, they actually traded away uh, their pick at number 91 to, to Minnesota. But 95, they, they get a pick from Kansas City. And uh, Jamar Johnson out of Indiana, the safety, 6'1", 197 pounds, the junior. And look, the Ravens, they had a pair of solid but unspectacular safeties in Deshaun Elliott and Chuck Clark. I still think they need a playmaker on the back end. And here's the thing with Jamar Johnson. He improved that draft stock in 2020, saw him become the first Indiana safety to be named first team all Big Ten since Eric Allen in 1996. I mean, think about that. Displays ex you know, extremely you know, good instincts, uh, reading the quarterback's eyes, timing his breaks on the football uh, to make a play on the ball. Wound up picking off four passes, including two of those against Justin Fields. Uh, broke up another four in 2020. Uh, also showing that he's not afraid to play the, uh, play around the line of scrimmage against the run and as a blitzer. Rarely out of position. Very quick with his transitions. Will close in a hurry and off coverage. I think Jamar Johnson is a guy that could be starting early on for the Ravens there at the safety position. So then the Ravens at 105. Uh, it's a compensatory selection. And uh, you know, like I said, they're set at the offensive tackle position. 
Um, you know, they signed Kevin Zeitler at guard, as I mentioned earlier. That's a big win in free agency. But I think they need another guard. You know, they got Bradley Bozeman, who played center at Bama. They can potentially kick him inside. If they get a guy like Kendrick Green out of Illinois, 6'4", 315 pounds there uh, in, third, in the third round. Now, Green was a def- converted defensive tackle, but he can play multiple p- positions up front. I think the Ravens will love that versatility. Uh, bends pretty well, you know, that knee bend. Um, generates a ton of movement in the running game. Can climb to the second level, under control, looking for someone to bury. Um, I like him. I like his power. I like his uh, mean streak that he can play with. And I know that the Ravens will as well. He kind of fits what they're looking for, especially with that physical ground and pound uh, that the Ravens like to play with. Um, and then in round number four, uh, I was going back and forth in terms of what we might see. And uh, you know, that center position, you know, they've got Patrick McCarry and they've got Bradley Bozeman, but I think you get another center in there to really compete with them. And uh, I think Michael Mennett out of Penn State, 6'4", 301, a pretty athletic center, uh, could end up being that guy. You know, look, the Ravens, they can go in a number of directions with this pick. You know, I think center is one of those. They need to continue to make sure that they're taking care of Lamar Jackson. Uh, they could go with another defensive end. Um, you know, you've got Derek Wolf and, and Calais Campbell. Um, but they could use another end there. Je- uh, Justin Matabike, I think, struggled a little bit there um, at the five technique. So you could potentially see that happening. Uh, I think corner, you could potentially look at them targeting a, a nickel because uh, you've got Marcus Peters, you've got Marlon Humphrey on the outside. Um, adding another tight end to the mix. They've got Nick Boyle, they've got Josh Oliver, but they could potentially target a tight end. Um, and then, you know, that running game, I think, is set, though. You've got, you know, J.K. Dobbins, you've got Gus Edwards, you've got Justice Hill. So they, they could afford to allow Mark Ingram to move on. Um, you know, don't rule out another receiver. I think that could potentially happen as well. So, you know, I, I think the Ravens, they could also use another linebacker. You know, I think whether it's an edge rusher or an, an, uh, an inside linebacker, we could potentially see that move as well. Uh, but I, I think the Ravens are in a nice spot, especially getting that second first round pick. They could really address that pass rush and the receiver position. Um, really like what the Ravens you know, are doing and how they're setting themselves up. So that's going to then take us to the NFC North. Detroit Lions, a franchise that I think is just starved for a playoff berth. You know, just starved for, you know, can we just get a, a solid team out, the, out there on the field? And, you know, Matthew Stafford was traded to the Rams. They bring in Jared Goff. They get a number of picks. Um, they can go in a number of directions here at number seven. Uh, they finished with the 20th ranked offense, um, but also had the league's worst defense. 30th against the pass, giving up nearly 320 yards per game. Um, to make matters worse, you know, Everson Griffin is gone. Um, there really isn't a sure thing as an edge rusher like you know Chase Young from a year ago. Uh, you know, Quiddy Pay could potentially garner some consideration here. Pro Football Focus put out a, a, an interesting stat. They noted that none of the five linebackers that saw significant sacks received a grade over 65. So I'm looking at Micah Parsons. He can get a long look here as well. Uh, but ultimately with, with Detroit, look, Kenny Galladay is now in, in New York with the Giants. Marvin Jones is now with the with Jacksonville. Danny Amendola, Mohamed Sanu, they're not expected back either. So when they all left, that left Quint, uh, Quintez Cephas as the only receiver on the roster with at least 15 receptions in 2020. So they did sign Rashad Perriman and Tyrell Williams 
Neither of those guys, though, they're, they're good possession guys on the outside, but neither can stretch the, stretch the defenses in a way that Jalen Waddle can. So having that reliable downfield weapon for Goff, it's going to be critical for success, and uh, I think he can end up really handling things there on the outside as a number one receiver. One other thing to really think about, though, is uh, you know I know Dan Campbell, Brad Hopkins are going to look at, hey, we could potentially get a cornerstone of our offensive line. I think you, you look at a guy like Panay Sewell could potentially end up taking over that right tackle for him if he's there on the board. Um, you know, If he's gone, you could potentially see Rashawn Slater come off the board here as well. Really get that offensive line short up, take care of Jared Goff, and then take advantage of that depth at the receiver position later on. But I, I honestly think Waddle's going to be the guy here. If he doesn't go to the Dolphins at number six, and the only reason why he's going to the Dolphins at six is if Jamar Chase ends up being the pick there for Cincinnati at number five. But look, Waddle was the quote-unquote fourth receiver in 2019 in a receiver room that had Henry Ruggs III, Jerry Judy, and Devontae Smith. But he seemed to really be the most explosive guy out of that group, and I think he really is. 2020 had 26 passes uh, hauled in for 591 yards, 21.1 yards per, per reception, and four touchdowns. Two of those touchdowns going for 80 yards or longer. Uh, it really showed determination to come back from that ankle injury that he sustained on the opening kickoff against Tennessee in October. Made it in time for that national title game. Wasn't really much of a factor, but still was able to battle back, which I thought was tremendously impressive. He's also going to be a factor in the running in the return game. You, know, you look at uh, Jamal Agnew uh, and Danny Amendola no longer in the picture. Waddle, he's returned two punts and one kick for a touchdown in his two seasons with Bama. So, you know, that suddenness um, and his ability to make cuts up the field without losing any speed, I think he can really be a difference maker and give Goff a legit vertical threat. So I think that's really what the Lions end up doing there in round number one. And I mentioned the offensive tackle position. Why? Well, if they don't end up taking Panay Sewell over Sean Slater, they can wait until round two. Much like I was talking about with the Bengals if they took Jamar Chase, there's going to be a guy uh, available for them in round two. And the guy that I really like, there are actually two of them. There's Jalen Mayfield and there's Dylan Radins that I think will both be available here. Um... Ultimately, I think Dylan Radins ends up being the guy. And uh, I think he ends up winning out. And Radins, look, you know, he's a he's a three-year starter for the Bison, you know, at North Dakota State, 6'6, 298, showed tremendous physicality in the run game, had 63 knockdowns in, in 2019, according to Pro Football Focus. Quick get off, uh, able to, to effectively convert that speed to power, generate a ton of a ton of movement in the running game. Equally adept in pass protection, not giving up a single sack while holding down Trey Lance's blind side. Um, showed at the at the Senior Bowl that it, you know he really silenced everyone um, that could ever be skeptical of taking FCS quarter uh, FCS offensive tackle so early because he really dominated and was you know the really the MVP in terms of the offensive lineman there at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I think Raiden's. You put him opposite Taylor Decker, and I think you're set there at that offensive tackle position. Um, don't rule out Jalen Mayfield either, but I think ultimately, like I said, Dylan Radens ends up getting the nod here. You move on to round three, and I think the Lions, look, the Lions need a, a linebacker. You know, they, I think they absolutely need to, to address that linebacker position. Um, you know, Jared Davis was a disappointment in the middle, ultimately left a free agency. You've got Jelani Tavai, hasn't lived up to that second round billing uh, that selection for two years ago. 
I think all eyes are really on the line to see if they take Micah Parsons there at number seven. If they end up taking Jalen Waddle, they can still land a linebacker on day two, even with this top-heavy linebacker class. Um, and I think Chaz Surratt out of North Carolina, he's 6'2", 230 pounds. He's really an intriguing prospect. Converted from quarterback to inside linebacker following his sophomore season. He really volunteered to do it. He wanted to go ahead and, and help the team out. And what does he do? Racks up 206 tackles, 22 and a half tackles for loss, 12 and a half sacks, two interceptions, five pass breakups, and a pair of forced fumbles and a partridge in a pear tree in two years after being a quarterback for the Tar Heels the first two years. I mean, it's incredible. Quarterback instincts, you really see him playing fast, diagnosing plays in a hurry, flowing in a hurry to make a play on the ball, times those blitz as well, does a really good job reading the quarterback size when he's dropping into coverage. Another guy who I think we're just scratching the surface on his potential. And the Lions would love to have him patrolling uh, the middle of that defense. And he has really nice range as well. Potentially even end up lining up at at the will if he needed him to. So the Lions, uh, they're not done in round number three. And I mentioned the will. And there's a safety uh, need as well. Uh, you know they, they need a safety that plays next to, to Tracy Walker now that Jerron Harmon wasn't re-signed. And really what's interesting, I, I mentioned that, that need at, at the will, and I'm looking at Divine Diablo out of Virginia Tech. He's 6'3", 226 pounds. He can play both safety and linebacker. He's one of those new age linebacker types, right? Uh, racked up over 200 tackles in his career with the Hokies, made plays in the box, behind the line, and was also big enough to handle the larger tight ends and coverage. A nose for the football, ended up with six interceptions, 11 pass breakups, and three forced fumbles uh, during his time there in Blacksburg. And look, you know, his ability to play multiple positions is going to get him on the field early, whether it is at safety or at linebacker. He can end up playing both of those positions in the same game. Um, You really allow him to play around the line of scrimmage, especially against the run, and then let him cover a tight end on obvious passing downs. So I think that'll offer up some versatility there for Detroit uh, on the back end of their defense. And then the defensive tackle position needs to be shored up for, for Detroit as well. And really when you look at it, they've got um, they've got some needs for sure. They brought in Michael Brockers, and, and I think that's a, a nice get for them. They, they ended up trading for him. But uh, you got John Penasini playing next to him, Nick Williams, uh, Jay Sean Cornell, you know, that really doesn't move the needle for me at the, at the D-tackle position. So I think you could end up looking for uh, another D-tackle. Look, here's why. 26th in the league in sacks, but they were also 28th against the run. So you get an interior presence that can be disruptive on all three downs. And, and you know, I mean, Danny Shelton, you know, was a, was a cap casualty. He's gone. Uh, and Brockers, that's just, you know, scratching the surface on what you really need there. And I'm looking at a guy like Jalen Twyman. Look. You know, he was 6'1", 290 as a sophomore and really a breakout campaign. Showcased tremendous bursts off the ball, combined with that power at the point of attack, allowed him to blow up run plays, collapse the pocket as an interior pass rusher, finished 2019 with 10 and a half sacks, solidified himself as one of the top pass rushers regardless of position. He's got that squattier frame though, not necessarily ideal along the interior. So I think that stock is going to drop a little bit, but he does play with a good pad level, fires low off the football. Had that disappointing 5-4-40 time at his pro day, which also was a setback as well. Uh, now he's weighing in at 317, so you're hoping that he carries that weight well. Um, 
you know, or is it one of those things he sat out 2020? Is he truly in shape? That's going to be a concern. You show up at 317, you're running a 5440. You know, obviously you start thinking about that. But at the same time, look, when he was on, he had that quick first step, that quick hands, tremendous power. Look, the dude bench pressed 225 40 times at his pro day. I mean, that's that's better than Aaron Donald. Um, you know, and these guys both played at Pittsburgh. He's definitely not Aaron Donald, you know, not even close, especially when he's running a 5-4-40. But I love the burst. I love his ability to collapse the pocket. Uh, I love his ability to also, you know, show that power up against the run, blowing up those run plays, driving his man into the running back a lot of times. I think he can be worth the risk at this point in the draft for Detroit to get that defensive tackle who could potentially take care of a, a, a shoddy run, uh, run defense and can also help put pressure on the quarterback. So we move on from the Lions. And uh, what's interesting, you know, you've got the Vikings sitting there at number 14 overall. And the Vikings, well, you know, the Vikings, it's kind of an interesting haul. There, there's a lot of questions on where they're going to go. And there are really two positions that I think they could could be addressing with this pick. And, and it's difficult to really pinpoint which direction they're going to go. Um, they tried to beef up their pass rush bringing in Yannick Ngakwe. He got five sacks in six games, but then he was traded to Baltimore, so it didn't really work out for him. Um, you know, and they had already lost Michael Pierce, Eric uh, Kendricks, Anthony Barr to COVID or injury. So you know, they, they were already shorthanded. Then, to make matters worse, Daniel Hunter had to sit out the 2020 season due to a neck injury, so that really put a damper on that pass rush. DJ Wonham, you know, he looks like a promising rookie. Stephen Weatherly was brought in to push for playing time as well. But look, neither one should be really seen as starters opposite Daniil Hunter. So Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, both could bring in some versatility up front with their ability to brush the passer, both off the edge and also from within. Uh, so I think they paired nicely with Daniil Hunter. Uh, but then you hear from Pro Football Focus that Minnesota's offensive line gave up 172 of the 214 pressures allowed. Um, you know, a, a number that was 11th highest in the league. Um, maybe the offensive line needs to be considered. I mean, and what's crazy is they've already used two round, uh, two second round picks in Brian O'Neill in 2018, Ezra Cleveland in 2020, and a first rounder in Garrett Bradbury in 2019. So last three drafts, we've seen offensive line. We've already seen this, but uh, would they really invest in another quarterback, I mean, in another offensive lineman because their quarterback, Kirk Cousins, does need to, to be protected. They need to keep him upright. Um, Riley Reef let go. You bring in Mason Cole. You re-sign Dakota Dozier. That doesn't move the needle. You know, and I, I don't know that Ezra Cleveland is going to be the answer at left tackle. So you know, if Elijah Vera Tucker sitting there, I think the Chargers ultimately take him so he's not going to be on the board. Then they'll have their decision. Do they want to take Elijah Vera Tucker, who's likely going to pay inside a guard, or do they go with Christian Derrissaw out of Virginia Tech? I think Derrissaw is going to end up being the guy. He's 6'3", 315 pounds, and you pull the trigger here. Best pure pass blocker in this year's draft. Started every game but one, which was during his freshman season, in his three seasons with the Hokies. And during that time, displayed tremendous agility as a pass protector he's balanced natural knee bender very smooth with his kick slide as a junior gave up just six pressures didn't give up a sack so you know, the proof's right there for you 
I think he could add some power and strength to generate more movement in the running game at the point of attack. But that athleticism that's on display um, in the pass pro, you also see that in the running game. He's able to get out and pull in front of the running back, you know, can climb to the second level and find guys there in space. So I think that'd be the pick there at number 14. You get your offensive tackle. And from there, the Vikings could go defensive end. But they won't have a pick in round number two. They traded that away. So I think you have to find that defensive end in round three. And that's really going to be the question. If you're confident that you're going to find an offensive lineman in round three, then you pull the trigger there. Uh, But ultimately, I think you can end up getting an edge rusher in round three as well because I think there's more depth in the middle rounds at that uh, edge rusher position. And I'm looking at a guy like Peyton Turner, another guy who has tremendous size, like Daniil Hunter. He's 6'5", 270 pounds, um, played out of Houston. Intriguing prospect for sure. Very quick off the ball. He bends well for his size, tremendous speed to the quarterback, moves well laterally, nice change of direction. Uh, wins with power as well, which allows him to work in as, a, as an interior pass rusher. And in just five games in 2020, racked up 10 and a half tackles for loss and five sacks. The production just can't be ignored. I think that'd be a nice pickup for the Vikings there in round number three. And look, the Vikings aren't done in round three. They've got another pick there, and that's going to be at 91 overall. And look, the Vikings, you're going to see them a lot. 10 draft picks in the 2021 draft. 19 overall they get from Baltimore and look they signed Xavier Woods to play alongside Harrison Smith but both are going to be free agents at the end of the season I think Minnesota needs to bring in another safety and I'm looking at Javon Holland out of Oregon 6'1 196 he sat out 2020 as well but look I think he needs to be on Minnesota's radar because of his position versatility he has experience at both safety positions also has some cover skills can line up in the slot take out those those slot receivers uh, shows off impressive instincts and ball skills. Nine interceptions in two seasons there for the Ducks. Also a dynamic weapon in uh, in the return game as a punt returner, averaging 15.3 yards per return in 2019. Makes a ton of sense for the Vikings to go after a safety there in round number three, especially if they can land Javon Holland, who has a chance to end up being a second round pick when it's all said and done. So the Vikings, you're going to see a lot of them. I mentioned that you're going to see them a lot in the draft period. You're going to see them a ton in the fourth round. Because Why? Because they, they've got four picks. You know, they could potentially package them and, and move up. But if they stay where they're at, at 120 overall, you know, they, they selected Justin Jefferson last year with the 22nd overall pick. He and Adam Thielen really give Kirk Cousins a lethal duo, but they're lacking a true number three wideout. And I'm looking at Austin Watkins out of South Carolina. It might be a little, I'm sorry, South Florida. Might be a little early to take him, but at 6'3", 210 pounds, I think he's one of the more underrated prospects in the draft. Can easily come off the board on day two, in my opinion. Big play threat for USF. In 2019, as a junior, racked up over 1,000 yards, averaging 19.2 yards per reception uh, during that time. Good size, good length, can get vertical, and is going to win those contested catches more often than not. Um, So I would love to see that pick happen there for the Vikings in round number four. Um, I'm also looking, look, I mentioned that they re-signed Dakota Dozier, um, but he struggled in 2020. Jury's still out on whether or not Ezra Cleveland is going to be playing out of position or not. I think they can add a guard, at least provide some depth, and potentially take over a starting spot. And I'm looking at Ben Cleveland out of Georgia. 6'4", 314 pounds. And what's interesting about Cleveland, you know, he established himself as one of the better guards in the SEC. 
Uh, started 25 games, but look, he was a constant present for the dogs up front because he played in 51 career games. Um, and you saw right out of the gate, you know, there's a big physical presence at that guard position, uh, tremendous power in his hands, lower body strength to really help him latch onto, onto defenders and then generate movement in the ground game. Also able to anchor in pass protection. Uh, Cleveland thought he had a chance to break the bench press record at the combine, but uh, the 30 reps at his pro day fell well short of that 49 rep record, but still has that power. You still see it when you watch the game film, and that's good enough for me. Uh, tremendous athleticism. I uh, ran an unofficial 4.8540. Could be a day two guy for sure. I think there is some concern around his arms, you know, 33 inch arms, whether or not he'll be able to get those hands uh, in on those longer limb defensive linemen. But I, I really think. Ben Cleveland could be a guy that can end up taking over one of those inside uh, interior lineman position there for uh, Minnesota. Dakota Dozier seems like more of a rotational guy uh, than anything else. Ben Cleveland can end up taking over that starting spot when it's all said and done. So the Vikings, again, I mentioned they need, they have another draft pick, and that's at number 136 overall. This one they got from Buffalo. And look, you know they, they have one of the better running backs in the league in, in Dalvin Cook. You've got Alexander Madison showing that he can be a capable backup. But I think Minnesota also needs a versatile back that who can also catch the football out of the backfield. And I'm looking at Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon State. He's 5'10", 217 pounds, rushed for just under 3,000 yards for the Beavers, scored 27 touchdowns in three seasons, hauled in 43 receptions as well. And look, a lot of people wanted to beat him up over his speed. You didn't really see it until he, they played the Ducks this year. And this is a guy that was running away. He was splitting defenders on the back end of that Ducks defense and running away from them. That acceleration really came into play there. Um, so I, I think this is a guy that has some of that longer speed than uh, people were really giving him credit for. And I think he's a guy that can add a, a different dynamic there to that offense. And then finally, pick number 144 overall. It's a compensatory pick. We finally get to the end of things. And I, you know, I know that they, they continue to, to need to get a pass rush together. And, and we've already talked about them taking a defensive end. But I, I think there's a linebacker that's out there that they could also target. You know, a guy that can play in space a little bit, has some pretty good length. Uh, and that's a guy by the name of Charles Snowden. Uh, and Snowden played at Virginia, and he's 6'7". I mean, that's the thing. He's got tremendous length, 6'7", 240 pounds. Um, you know, a guy who has 30 and a half tackles for loss, 15 sacks, including 11 in the last two seasons, uh, to go along with 21 tackles for loss in the last two seasons as well. 15 pass breakups, tremendous length for a guy this size, uh, you know, uh, for, for a linebacker. And I, I think he's a guy um, who can play in space. Um, I think a lot of people are really confused. Should he be a, a defensive end? Should he be a 3-4 outside linebacker? I actually like him as a potentially even a Sam in a 43 defense. Um, I, I love the length. I love his ability to play in space. I love his ability to drop into coverage. He can rush the quarterback. You know, I, I, I like that versatility, and I think it makes sense. And I think the Vikings, look, you know, they, they also need help at, at the will um, you know, with, with Ryan Connolly there. Uh, what's the long-term future of Anthony Barr going to be like at that Sam backer? Um, but you get a guy who can handle coverage and a guy that can rush the quarterback a little bit as well and take some of that pressure off Hunter and uh, and Peyton Turner. Um, so I really like that pick at the end of round number four. So that's the Minnesota Vikings. You know, we've got a couple more here in uh, 
the North. And so the next pick is going to be the Bears. And so the Bears, you know, they, they, they bring back the head coach yet again, you know, in Ryan Pace. Uh, I'm sorry, Matt Nagy. They also bring back their GM in Ryan Pace. And these are two guys that really need to figure out a way to get this team back to the playoffs. Eight and eight record, not good enough. Uh, they're brought back for one more year. They've been doing everything they could, they can to try to pry Russell Wilson away from the Seahawks. Haven't been able to get it done. Right now, the duo of Andy Dalton and Nick, Nick Foles really uninspiring there at that quarterback position. I think they need to make a, a huge move on draft day. And I'm predicting that Chicago, a team that nobody's really talked about, is going to trade up and get Trey Lance. 6'4", 228 pounds out of North Dakota State. This is a dude... Uh, who has about as much upside as anybody. I mean, he threw uh, 28 touchdowns without a single interception, rushed for over 1,100 yards, has deep ball accuracy, a guy that makes you know tremendous plays on the run. You know, reminds you a lot of Josh Allen in that way. Uh, 287 attempts in a season without an interception, set an NCAA record before throwing one, actually in the one game this year. Um, but a guy that you know, has the ability to manipulate the pocket. He's an athlete a guy that can make plays. He's the new age quarterback, but he's played in so few games. He's a redshirt freshman, you know, um, you know, season that was just spectacular. One game as a redshirt sophomore, he needs time to develop. And I think ultimately what you have there with Andy Dalton and Nick Foles, you've got two bridge quarterbacks there, guys that he can really learn from and draw from. I, I think it makes a ton of sense to me um, yes, they need offensive line help. Yes, they need a receiver. But good news is you have depth at both of those positions. So Chicago, what are you going to do after that? Well, I think in round two, you get your tackle. Uh, Charles Leno, he's been a fixture on that line. Could be a cap casualty. Even if he stays, they need to replace Bobby Massey at the right side. Brady Christensen out of BYU is a guy that I thought really looked good throughout the season. He was one of the more consistent offensive linemen. Ended up you know, winning uh, some All-America honors in the process. He's 6'6", 300 pounds, a junior. Gets out of his stance quickly. Um, low pad level. Good lateral quickness. Look, he ran a 4.8940 at his combine, which is just as fast as Tristan Wirfs was a season ago. 34-inch vertical leap. Just a couple of inches shy of what Wirfs posted as well. So athleticism for days I think he could play on the right side easily there for the Bears fill in for Massey or if they end up letting Charles Leno go he can line up over there at the left tackle position so I think that makes a lot of sense so Bear fans what are we going to do in round number three well I actually like a linebacker I mean I'm sorry a safety and so Sean Gibson he's a free agent uh, you know you, you look at uh, Eddie Jackson you know, playmaker, you need a guy who's physical. And James Wiggins out of Cincinnati, you know, 5'11", 209, fluid in coverage, um, very intelligent. You know, this is a guy that is going to set all the, you know, set your defense um, on the back end. Um, but he, he tore that ACL at the beginning of the 2019 season. Then he rehabs the injury in just five months, tears the meniscus, falling down a flight of stairs, really a freak accident. Uh, posted a 4-4-4-40 at his pro day, 38-inch vertical leap, ripped out 225, uh, 20 times in the bench press. If he can stay healthy, I'd like him there with the Bears, pairing with a playmaker like Eddie Jackson. So I think that makes a ton of sense there for the Bears in round number three. And then they don't have a pick in round four. They traded that to Minnesota. 
number 126 overall. So I, I think the Bears, they could still need a receiver. And that's one of the things that I think they could end up targeting instead of a safety. But again, there's depth at that receiver position in this draft class. So they can wait and, and pick one up later on in the draft. So finally, you get to the Green Bay Packers. And the Packers, you really have to think about things differently with them. Um, you know, I think with you know with, with this new regime, you know, Matt Lafleur leading the show. Um, you know, it, it's weird. Um, you know, Love was taken number twenty-six overall. Um, you know, they, they did something similar to what they did with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. Um, you know, but when you look at it. The last time an organization took a skill position player on offense prior to Love was Aaron Rodgers in 2005. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they take their first receiver in round one since Javon Walker in 2002. Devontae Adams, superstar receiver, we know that, 114 receptions, 1,374 yards, and 18 touchdowns. Now the duo of Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard, though they had their moments, they combined for 66 receptions, 1,141 yards, and nine touchdowns. And they also finished behind tight end Robert Tanyan and running back Aaron Jones in receptions. So I think really, you know, Rodgers needs a legitimate weapon in the slot. Hasn't had one since Randall Cobb moved on. I'm looking at Elijah Moore out of Mississippi. You know, in 2020, 86 catches, 1,193 yards, and eight touchdowns in eight games. Ended up being a Belichick Award finalist. And look, against top SEC opponents, Alabama and Florida, caught 21 passes, 370 yards, uh, and averaged 17.3 yards per reception against the tight end, the Gators. A guy that can attack you over the middle, a guy that can be a threat to go deep on every play, soft hands, reliable, 4-3-5-40. I think the Packers... You know, at some point, you got to take a receiver in round number one. And just with this way this regime is, you have to think a little bit differently now for the Packers. I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, in round two, you need to find somebody that's going to uh, partner up with, with Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark needs some help up front, some desperately. And what's interesting, Christian Barmore could be, could be there. The Athletics' Bob McGinn reported that Teams are concerned with Barmore's resistance to coaching and structure at Alabama. If he falls to 62 overall, I think Green Bay, that'd be the right value for him. Worth the risk at that point. Look, he only played 747 snaps at Bama, according to Pro Football Focus. But also extremely productive as a pass rusher on the interior. Eight sacks. Um, uses his quickness off the ball. Um, look, 49640, 34.5 inch vertical leap. Um, and also has a tremendous length as well that he's going to use nearly a seven foot wingspan um so he can be really a terror he was a guy that was virtually unblockable in the national title game harassing justin fields all game long a lot of scouts really say that it's more a product of a lot of the guys that played around him but look the get off the hands his, him firing into the backfield that was all him and i think he's a guy um, who can play the five technique and uh you know i think he'd pair up nicely with kenny clark so the Packers in round number three, they need another corner. Yes, they brought Kevin King back, but I think they do need to get another corner in the mix. I love Rodarius Williams. He's six foot, 195, twitched up corner, good size, instincts, blanket coverage on the outside, rarely out of phase, forces those quarterbacks to make a perfect throw. And look, he didn't see the ball thrown his way a ton, and he's playing in Big 12 play where they throw the football 60 times a game. So that really speaks to the type of player that he is when really quarterbacks wanted to shy away from him. I like him in round number three. 
Um, I had him at one point coming off the board in round two, but I think round t- round three would make the right, um, really the, the, the right value at that point. At 135 overall, the Packers need a linebacker. I'm looking at Derek Barnes, 6'1", 238 pounds. Um, you know, 92 tackles, eight going for loss, three sacks in his sophomore year as a linebacker. Then they say, hey, we need you at defensive end. Puts his hand in the dirt, seven and a half sacks, 11 tackles for loss in the process. Proved he can bend off the edge. Then he moves to middle linebacker for a senior season. Shows off the lateral agility, scraping over the top on run plays, fills gaps coming downhill. Then he shows up at his pro day, runs a 4.5740, 37-inch vertical leap. I love the athleticism. Playing that inside linebacker position in Raheem Morris's defense, I think he's a guy that could end up, um, you know, really shining there um, at inside backer for the Packers. And then he also needed to get an edge rusher as well. And so I'm looking at Quincy Roche out of Miami, 6'3", 245 pounds. This is a dude had 30 and a half sacks at Temple and at Miami. He struggles to get off blocks a little bit, so he's not going to be a guy playing with his hand in the dirt. He, he is a 34 outside linebacker at the next level, so that makes a ton of sense for me. So we're, we're really kind of pressed for time now. Um, we're going to end up putting at that two-hour mark if we don't speed things up. So we're going to jump really quickly into the AFC West Broncos sitting there at the top, uh, number nine overall. They could go quarterback. A lot of people are talking about it, but I think you know Drew Locke uh, is going to get another chance, especially when you got a guy like Micah Parsons sitting there, 6'3", 246 pounds. You haven't addressed the inside linebacker position. Josie Jewell and Anthony Johnson are free agents at the end of the season. Micah Parsons is a freakish athlete, a guy that can drop into coverage. He can rush the quarterback. People say, well, he doesn't really, he gets lost in coverage. But look, he started off as a as a rush, uh, as a rusher, really a guy that was getting after the after the passer. He's developing as a, a guy that can drop into coverage. He has the athleticism to be able to do that. Still have five pass breakups in uh, in 2019. Um, tied for fourth in the FBS with four forced fumbles. Has a nose for the football. Um, yes, there is the issue with the hazing incident. Um, wasn't named as a as a defendant in that case. And, uh, you know, there was also a fight that resulted in a knife being pulled as well. But he's addressed that with the media. I like Micah Parsons there to the Broncos. Let him really run free there in Vic Fangio's defense. And then he can also get after the quarterback with Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller. I think that would really give, you know, teams uh, you know some pause when they, they think about dropping back to pass when you've got all of those guys teeing off and coming after you. Um, so I think the Broncos do end up targeting a quarterback in round two. Davis Mills out of Stanford, 6'4", 225. A guy that hasn't played a ton of games. Um, so I, I know that that's one of the things that you really look at. Um, you know, 13 games, uh, posted 18 touchdowns, eight interceptions, which is a bit of a concern. But he is a good athlete, ran a 4'5", 4, 4, 40. Um, what I really like about him is he's got the tremendous arm strength. Um, ability to get the ball outside the numbers, throw the football down the field with ease, gets the ball out even before the receiver's out of their break. Um, so and he makes some plays outside the pocket. I like him to the to the Broncos there in round number two. Broncos then round three. And this is a pick I, I think is is really a match made in heaven. Um, you know, another Stanford Cardinal, um, John Elway, you know, alma mater, kind of makes some sense. Um, Walker Little out of Stanford, look, 6'7", 320, the junior. Um, you know, Jamar, uh, Juwan James signed that four-year, $51 million contract in 2019. Um, ultimately, 
look, you know, 2019 missed that season due to an injury, sat out 2020 due to, due to COVID. So there's some current concerns about his real, his presence on the field. Uh, Little was one of the top offensive tackle prospects in 2018, has that ACL tear in 2019. Then he sits out due to COVID, appears to be 100% now, offers some power in the running game and pretty good movement skills there in the, uh, in, in the passing game as well. So I like him in round three. And then round four, Broncos need to get another defensive end. They did bring Shelby back, uh, Shelby Wilson, but I think they need to get one more uh, pick there. Uh, at the defensive end position, especially now that Jarrell Casey's gone. Um, Oso Digazua, 6'2", 270 pounds. This guy's got freakish length, even though he's he's kind of undersized. I think he can play that five technique, tremendous power in his hands, um, you know, gets those offensive linemen off, uh, off balance at the point of attack. Really quick, violent uh, player on, on the interior. I like him going to the Broncos there in round number four. You move to the Chargers sitting there at number 13. This is really where things get interesting. Uh, I I think the Chargers could end up going Darasaw. They could go corner, surprise people of J.C. Horn sitting there. I think it's Elijah Vera Tucker. I I think Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC, 6'4", 315 pounds. Um, He can play inside a guard. They have a definite need there that he can also play tackle. You know, uh, Brian Bolaga played some left tackle. He needs to move out to right tackle. Trey Pipkins, um, just you can't rely on him uh, at the left tackle position. Like I said, there's a hole at left guard. He can play both of those positions. And look, when he played left guard in, in 2019 for SC, he was still their offensive lineman of the year. And, and that was on a line that included the 18th overall pick in the 2020 draft in Austin Jackson. I, I love the balance. I love his ability to, to fire off the line. Pretty clean tape for the most part. Uh, in 2020 at the offensive tackle position. I thought Kayvon Thibodeau really exposed him there in Pac-12 play uh, or the Pac-12 championship with his long, the, the short arms, which makes me believe he's going to end up playing inside a guard at the next level. Uh, number 47, Chargers need a corner. I mentioned that. They also need a tight end with Hunter Henry gone. If Pat Fryermuth is sitting there, Chargers jump on him right away. Uh, but now that Casey Hayward's released, you get a corner. Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky, 6'1", 195. Redshirt sophomore, led the SEC with four interceptions. Good size, fluid hips to turn and run. Provides blanket coverage on the outside, change of direction in a hurry. Tremendous ball skills. Ran a 4-3, at, at his pro day. Inexperienced, sure, but a tremendous athlete and a guy that I think is, is continuing to get better and better. Uh, a guy to be on the lookout for. I think the Chargers can end up pulling the trigger there in round two. Um, Chargers in round three. You know, Mike Williams set to make $15 million in 2021. Might be too much to pay uh, that receiver with just a 1,000-yard season. Average of 38 receptions over his first four seasons with the Chargers. Even if he comes back, you need to get another receiver at some point. Yami Brown out of North Carolina, 6'1", 185. Very intriguing guy, dynamic vertical threat over the last two seasons for the tar, for the tar heels back-to-back thousand yard seasons totaled 20 touchdowns during that time uh 20.1 yards per reception average really makes him the perfect target here you know i think the inconsistent hands are going to push him down in the draft which is why the Chargers will be able to pick him up here in round number three i really like that that pick um you know you've got keenan allen you know you do have mike mike uh, williams on the roster at least for now um, so I really like that, that combination there for the Chargers. Uh, and look, they have another pick in round three, a compensatory pick at number 98 overall. 
Hunter Long uh, ends up taking the place of Hunter Henry. Uh, 6'4", 253 out of BC. He was security blank for Phil, for Phil Jakovic in, in 2020. Uh, finished with at least four receptions in seven of the 11 games in which he played. Uh, pretty polished route runner, a weapon up the seam, soft hands, decent blocker. And what's interesting is in 2019, um, he was the downfield threat for BC, 18.2 yards per reception. So he can be versatile depending on what you need there. I love him to the Chargers there in round number three if they don't get baby Gronk. And then look, you know, Melvin Ingram still is not signed. You need another edge rusher. How about Hamilcar Rashad out of Oregon State? 6'3", 255. Really right now, he's more of a, a situational pass rusher. Really struggles uh, against the run, I think. Um, but look, you know, have 14 sacks. A tight end with Elias, uh, Alex Highsmith, um, you know, who was a third-round pick in 2020, um, and finished behind only Chase Young and Gregory Rousseau. When teams key, keyed in on him, he struggled to make the same impact in 2020. Just 23 tackles, two tackles for loss, zero sacks. I think that's why he falls to round four, but you, you allow him on the outside, especially when you're playing with Joey Bosa. You're going to see some uh, some one-on-one matchups, and I think that's where Rashad could potentially thrive with the Chargers. Moving on to the Raiders. The Raiders. And, and John Gruden, Mike Mayock, you're sitting there at number 17. What are you going to do? Is it going to be a defensive tackle? Is it going to be a defensive end? I think they go safety. You got Jonathan Abram. You need another safety there. Mike Mayock loves guys that are uh, that are productive. Trevon Merrick, the Jim Thorpe Award winner. Look, six interceptions, 20 pass breakups, while also racking up over 100 tackles in the last two seasons with the Horned Frogs. I think that makes a ton of sense to me for the Raiders there in uh, round number one. You move on to round two. And uh, look, they gutted their offensive line. Um, you know, so at some point, you know, you lose Trent Brown, Gabe Jackson, and Rodney Hudson. Nick Martin's come in. Um, I think ultimately you get a tackle to pair with Colton Miller, Jalen Mayfield, 6'5", 320 out of Michigan. He's a guy who's more, you know, really showed that power, generating a lot of movement in the run game in 2019. But I think he really showed better footwork and hand usage and pass protection in 2020. I like him in round three to the Raiders. Um, Raiders in round three. They continue to look at that offensive line. I mean, come on, why not? Um, get another guard to pair with, with Gabe Jackson. Trey, Trey Smith out of Tennessee, 6'5", 335-pounder. All-American off ta- uh, offensive tackle. Well-documented blood clot scare that kept him out of 2018. Returns as a guard. Uh, incredible power uh, there on the inside. And you're looking at Vegas. If they can get a tackle and a guard on day two of the draft, really helps them complete the overhaul of their offensive line, which will then allows them to turn to defense. And I think they need to get an edge rusher. You know, uh, you know, Max Crosby, a steal in 2019 as a fourth-round pick. 10-sack um, ten, ten rookie season. Had another seven sacks in 2020. Cleveland Furl really hasn't hasn't really answered the bell yet uh, as the number four overall pick there. I think Yannick Ngakwe has kind of tempered the need for a pass rusher. I'm looking at Rashad Weaver. Had nine-and-a-half sacks Um in his first two seasons with the Panthers, goes down to an ACL tear, comes back in 2027 sacks, 14 tackles for loss, 6'5", 270 pounds. I like him to the Raiders there in round number three, a productive pass rusher. And again, you know Mike Mayock loves guys who are productive at the collegiate level. And then they need another corner. And I'm looking at Kerry Vincent. He's 5'10", 185 pounds. Look, when you have 10 interceptions and only two of them are registered by a corner, and that's by one guy, Trayvon Mullen. You need to get another corner. Kerry Vincent's a guy. He sat out 2020, has six interceptions in his career, a guy who has a nose for the football. 
He seems like a Mike Mayock type guy. I think they end up targeting him there. Uh, and then that moves us on to Kansas City. And, and look, the, the Chiefs ultimately weren't able to get it done um, You know, against Tampa in the Super Bowl. They traded for Orlando Brown, which means they don't have a first-round pick. But they end up with, with a couple of second-round picks as a result, though. And so with the Chiefs in round number two, um, they no longer have to look at the offensive line, which then means I think they look linebacker especially because they lost Damian Wilson. You've got Anthony Hitchens and Willie Gay. Add Nick Bolton to the to the, the fray there. Six foot, 232 pounds, chase linebacker. Uh, 17 and a half tackles for loss in his career. Two interceptions, 14 pass breakups. Uh, over 200 tackles with the Missouri Tigers. Um, he makes a ton of sense for them there. And then they need another safety. You know, honestly. I mean, they need playmakers in their secondary. And Andre Sisco makes a ton of plays. He's a gambler. Um, you know, I, I think that mentality reminds me a lot of, of Tyron Matthew, um, who's also back there on the on the back end of the defense. Six foot, 203, 13 picks, uh, another 14 pass breakups. He's a gambler, though, and so he did give up eight touchdowns in his career there at Syracuse. High risk, high reward type player on the deep middle, physical hitter coming down in the box as well. You, you allow him to play with with Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill. That's three legitimate playmakers at the safety position for the Chiefs. You know, where really they got exposed a lot of times with that secondary. I really like that for them. They don't have a pick in round three, which means they've got two picks in round number four. And uh, you know, I actually have them targeting a corner. And I'm looking at Israel Mukuamu, who has tremendous length. Four interceptions, nine pass breakups. I thought he struggled a lot in, in his junior season, got turned around a little bit, showed off some of that stiffness. But if uh, you know, he can return to that sophomore form, he can end up being a steal there in round four. And then they get an edge rusher. You got Frank Clark, you got Chris Jones, the team's top two sack artists, both signed through 2023. They need help getting after the quarterback. Target Chaka Tony out of Penn State, 6'3, 252. Constant pressure there uh, for, for Penn State. Um, consistent pass rusher, racked up 20 sacks during his time with the Nittany Lions. I think that makes a ton of sense for the Chiefs, which then takes us finally to the. NFC West and again we're running out of time so we don't have a ton of time to really spend on uh, the NFC West but I'm going to do my best to try to break it down the best I can we're looking at uh, number three overall the 49ers they trade up with Miami they get that number three overall pick they're targeting a quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo's time in San Francisco has really been a rocky one we knew he was on the hot seat and really, what are the Niners going to do? Is it going to be Trey Lance? Is it going to be Mac Jones? It sounds like a lot of the scouts and execs love Trey Lance and what he can bring to the table. But Mac Jones and that freakish photographic memory and the preparation and everything else that he does, you need to be able to match match wits with Kyle Shanahan. And I think Mac Jones is able to do that. I think he's going to be a perfect fit in Kyle Shanahan's offense, a lot of that play action passing that he ran. And look, this is a guy, 77.4% of his passes completed, 4,500 yards, 41 touchdowns, just four interceptions, uh, third in the Heisman voting. This is a guy who posted five 400-yard games, threw for at least four touchdowns on eight occasions. And look, you know, you didn't think he was the best athlete, but he still runs a 4 6 8 40, you know, which isn't bad for a dude that showed up, you know, really looking like he had a dad bod. Um, but I think the play action passing 
you know, the tremendous rhythm, the timing, his ability to throw his man open. Um, I, I love the pocket presence, his ability to manipulate the pocket, really knows where to go with the football, doesn't really force things. Um, yes, he played, you know, with a bunch of five-star recruits and really outmatched a lot of the SEC secondaries and really the defenses as a whole. Um, because of that, and really Star- Sarkeesian seems, Steve Sarkeesian's offensive scheme, it was so advanced, it was like he was playing chess when opposing defenses were playing checkers. Offensive line was keeping him clean, so yeah, he didn't have to do a whole lot. He could just sit back and pick teams apart. But you see all the skills. You see his ability to throw the receivers open, the ball placement, the accuracy, his preparation. It just feels like Kyle Shanahan you know, this is a guy that can really fit into that offense and thrive. And so I, I think the Niners, they take Mac Jones there in round number one. You know, there's a, ta- a chance that Shanahan may acquiesce and ultimately give in to Trey Lance. But look, Trey Lance, he's going to need a year or two. You've got Jimmy Garoppolo there right now. I think Mac Jones is a little bit more NFL ready. Round two, you need a corner. Look, you know, Richard Sherman, Akella Witherspoon, Jason Barrett. Dante Jackson, Jamar Taylor, they were all free agents uh, at the end of the season, which was absolutely insane for the 49ers. Uh, you know, when you look at the cornerback position now, Jason Verrett is back. Dante Johnson's also back. Um, you know, Emmanuel Mosley, uh, he's also back. But I, I think you need to get another corner. And Ifatu Melifon, when he's 6'3", 213, um, He's a guy that can really match up with the likes of DeAndre Hopkins, DK Metcalf, Robert Woods on the outside. Big physical dude, uh, 23 passes defended. And you know, as, as big as he is, he's also able to sink his hips, make fluid transitions without giving up much ground. So I, I think he's a guy that some people think could move into round number one. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I think he'd be a great pick for the Niners there in round number two. Round three, Niners only have their compensatory pick of 103 overall. I'm looking at Aaron Banks out of Notre Dame. He's 6'5", 330 pounds. The interior of that offensive line is needed. They're thin up front. And I think Banks can push for playing time opposite Lincoln, uh, Lincoln Tomlinson. Um, you know, Banks, he's strong. He's powerful at the point of attack. Enjoys mauling guys, punishing defenders. Generates a ton of movement coming across, across the line or down the field in the running game can drive defenders all the way uh, from the pocket. Uh, I'm sorry, drive drive defenders away from the pocket in pass protection. Uh, a future starter at the next level. I think that really kind of helps shore up things there in front of Mac Jones and Jimmy Garoppolo, whoever's going to be under center there in, uh, in 2021. And uh, in fourth round, who are they going to end up taking? I think they need a running back. I, I, I really do. And, uh, you know, the reason why Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, you know, each played in just eight games, battling knee and ankle injuries, respectively. Jarek McKinnon was finally back from an ACL tear, but then he had to deal with a back injury, uh, finished the season with just 81 carries. Then there's Jeffrey Wilson, um, you know, came into the season fourth on the depth chart, um, undrafted free agent out of North Texas, became the team's leading rusher, albeit with just you know, 600 yards, but still better than nothing there stepped up big when the backfield really was ravaged by injury um i look at at them i think they need another back and you know i, I think Ramondre stevenson out of oklahoma six foot 245 you have the combination of size and quickness that he has um spencer tillman i think said it best he's a he's a big guy 
uh, with little man feet. And it's absolutely true. You watch him, you know, on the film, much like Ronnie Perkins, his presence changed the defense. Ramondre Stevenson did the same thing. You know, he missed the first five games in 2020 following the suspension for the positive drug test uh, prior to the Peach Bowl. Um, completely changed the whole complexion of the offense. Big, powerful back, tremendous lower body strength, contact balance. Um, also, such quick feet, like I said, in the hole can make you miss on the outside. Footwork that you would expect to see from a running back about 40 pounds lighter. Uh, good hands out of the backfield as well. Multi-faceted back. You get him in round four. I think that'd be a nice pickup there for the 49ers. Get a big physical back. Why not? Um, Cardinals. Cardinals sitting there at number 16 overall. You know, I, I guess now that the draft is in Cleveland and uh, you know the war rooms, I don't think we're going to get to see Cliff Kingsbury in that mansion again. Um, I still want to know why he had the fire pick going when it was probably 80 degrees out. Um, but I digress. Um, Arizona, look, Patrick Peterson is gone. You need another corner. I, I think the edge rusher position is also something that you need to address. Um, you know, Hakeem, uh, I'm sorry, Hassan Reddick is gone. Uh, Chandler Jones is under contract for next season, but um, you know he's he's starting to get up there in age, and uh, you know they. They have Marcus Golden. They brought him back. They also have Devon Kennard on the roster. So Aziz Ojolari could be the pick here. But I think they need to go corner. And it could be Greg Greg Newsom. But I think ultimately the medicals are going to check out enough for Caleb Farley with that that uh, microdiscectomy. Had that disc bulge there at, at L5 and S1. Um, I think doctors ended up clearing him. I think you're going to see Farley ultimately... Uh, get selected here. Yes, he had the non-contact ACL tear in 2017. Medical red flags were there, but he's absolutely athletic. Um, you know, he's big. He's physical. Uh, a guy that loves to play in both press man and in off coverage. Change of direction skills were impressive. No wasted movement. Ran a 4.29.40 before that surgery. Um, ball skills for days. Tremendous athlete. It would have been a surefire top 10 pick had it not been for uh, the back injury. So I think the Cardinals, again, could be Greg Newsom, but I think ultimately Caleb Farley ends up being their guy. Um, and so really in the second round, there is depth in the second round with these edge rushers. And I think you can get Joe Tryon out of Washington. He's 6'3", 259. Um, a little inconsistent at times there with the Huskies. But one thing that he can really do is bend off the edge, um, has you know very heavy-handed, good speed, a motor that never quits, eight and a half sacks, also ran a 4.540 at his pro day, 35-inch vertical leap, 34-inch arms, 82 and 3 fourths inch wingspan as well, so he, he can use that length to his advantage coming off the edge. I like him to the Cardinals there in round number two. So then you say, all right, if you're an Arizona Cardinal fan, should I tune in after we pick? Well, you know, unless there's a trade uh, that, you know, the Cardinals traded away their, their pick in round number three, number 80 overall to the, the Raiders. So then you say, well, should I tune in and watch round four of the draft? Uh, well, you traded away the, the number 122 overall to the Texans when you picked up DeAndre Hopkins. So, you know, you might want to, unless there's a trade, you might want to wait until round number five to really start getting interested again uh, on day three. So then you get to a couple of teams that have no first round picks and that's Seattle and the Rams. So 
So we're going to start off with Seattle. We know that Russell Wilson, uh, that relationship with the organization on the rocks. Uh, this is a dude, um, you know, ESPN stats and information research uh, noted that he was sacked 399 times in 144 games, most of any quarterback since the AFL-NFL merger in 1970. You know, this is a guy, Pro Football Focus noted that uh, you know, he was pressured on 38% of his dropbacks and his 2.3 interception rate was the highest since his rookie season in 2020. Seattle, if they want to mend things with their disgruntled quarterback, you got to protect him. Dwayne Brown is aging. He's 35 years of age, entering the final year of his deal. Mike uh, Upati is retired. I, I think Alex Weatherwood would be a great pickup here because he can play both tackle and guard. But I think you know, you've got Gabe Jackson on one side. I think you can get Wyatt Davis, 6'4", 315-pound junior uh, out of Ohio State who has first-round potential. He's physical at the line of scrimmage. I thought he was pretty consistent along the interior for the Buckeyes. Wide base, anchors well. Um, you know, and a guy that doesn't really get moved off his spot. You know, in pass protection, shows pretty good power as well. Can generate a lot of movement. Um, so I like you know Wyatt Davis there in round number two, 56 overall. Um, Seattle, I think then in, in round number three, you know, it'd be nice to see them trade back into into round three and target a tackle. Uh, because unfortunately they traded away their, their pick number 87 overall to the Jets. So it really kind of slows things down there for Seattle. Any momentum in the draft, they'll have to trade into uh, back into the draft if they want to target that off the tackle position. I think in round four, um, you know, Russell Wilson needs another receiver. They've got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I'm looking at Tamorian Terry out of Florida State, 6'4", 210. Um, this is a guy... Uh, put up monster numbers as a sophomore, 60 catches, over 1,100 yards, 19.8 yards per catch, and nine touchdowns. Blend of size and speed, uh, knows how to, to use his length to his advantage, can attack defenses outside the numbers, uh, over the middle as well, and in the red zone. I like him as a versatile guy there for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, and then the Rams. We'll close things out with the LA Rams uh, and you know, the, the Rams are an interesting team. They've got um, Matthew Stafford. They don't believe in first-round picks, apparently. You know, they'd rather trade and go for uh, more proven commodities. You know, it's an interesting strategy there with, with Les Snead and Sean McVay. But, you know, it's one of those things to where, you know, as long as you have the, the cap space to be able to pay these guys, you know, then it's something that could, temp, you know, could potentially pan out for you. Uh, the Rams need linebacker play, you know, playmakers and linebacker. And Jabril Cox, 6'4", 231, LSU, uh, was a transfer, you know, from North Dakota State. And this guy, you know, three of his nine interceptions in his career have been taken, to, you know, taken back to the house. At North Dakota State, they went 45 and one during his three years at the program. During that time, two, 258 tackles, 32 going for loss, 14 sacks, and 38 starts. Grad transfer shows up at Baton Rouge, first game in. They're at LSU, picks off KJ Costello, returns the pass 14 yards for a score in that debut against Mississippi State. A good size, change of direction, um, playing sideline to sideline against the run and the pass. Very instinctive. Rams finally get a playmaker there at the linebacker position. I feel like I've been saying that every single year, but they finally, finally pulled the trigger and make it happen. Round three, they traded away Michael Brockers. They have a void alongside Aaron Donald. Aleem McNeil out of NC State, 6'3", 
320 pounds, not only stout against the run, but also athletic big man with the tools to be an interior pass rusher. Racked up 10 sacks in just three seasons with the Wolfpack. Maybe the most impressive play, though, for the big man came against Virginia. Um, saw as many as three blockers on the play. Kept his eyes on the quarterback, though. Got his, uh, got into the throwing lane. Tipped the ball in the air to himself, then returned it 18 yards for a score. That level of athleticism will be a nice addition up front for the Rams. Absolutely. So then at the end of round number three, the Rams have a compensatory pick. Uh, number 104 overall. And Josh Myers out of, out of Ohio State, the center. 6'4", 312 pounds. Austin Blythe moved on. Rams need a, need a center. Myers, three-year starter. Consistent for the Buckeyes. Not the best athlete, but a guy... Um, who I thought did a really good job anchoring, generates movement in the running game. I think he's capable as a puller as well. Um, I think he'll be a week one starter at the next level. Um, you know, I think that'd be a nice pickup there for the Rams. And then in round four, I think the Rams are going to ultimately need to get a, another tackle. Andrew Whitworth, you know, I think this is really going to be his last season. They talked him into, into playing one more year. And uh, I'm looking at Josh Ball out of Maryland. I'm sorry, out of Marshall. He's 6'7", 308 pounds, uh, tremendous length, and a guy that I think moves pretty well. I think he's underrated, um, pass protector, uh, a guy that I think can be mentored by um, Andrew Whitworth and then ultimately take over the starting job there in 2022. So those are all the picks for the final 16 teams AFC and NFC, North and West. So we've made it through all 32 teams, all the picks in the first four rounds. That's ultimately, we've covered uh, 145 picks over the last two days. So we'll talk about my final first round mock draft tomorrow. We'll also play by the numbers. I promise it'll be a shorter podcast, um, but I wanted to make sure that we covered everything leading up to this draft. I want to make sure that we've got everything covered so that you are truly ready for this draft on April 29th. I'm getting excited and fired up because we're two days away for the NFL draft. Let's get after it. Let's have some fun. And uh, I can't wait to hear Roger Goodell Tell us that the Jacksonville Jaguars are officially on the clock. Take care, everyone. We'll come back and do this all again tomorrow. For readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. I hope you've had fun along this ride with me. Hang in there for a little while longer. The 2021 podcast series is almost coming to an end. But man, the draft is here. Get excited. Take care, everyone. And until next time, I am out of here.